Hello everyone at St Mark's Battersea Rise. My name is Pete Hughes and together my wife B, we lead a church in central London called KXE and it is a total joy to be with you for this, the first Sunday of 2022. Now I'm fully aware that many of you will have already established your New Year's resolutions, your new disciplines, routines, habits to help you be the best version of you in this coming year. And I'm also aware that a number of you will have already broken your New Year's resolutions. So if you're watching this from home and you're in that category, this is a safe place. There's no shame in this. We're family. Just put your hand in the air if you've already broken your New Year's resolutions. Shame on you. We're only one day into the adventure. That That's crazy. I'm obviously joking, but you get the idea. This is a moment in the year where everyone starts out with structures and routines and disciplines and new habits. But I want to encourage us to ask a slightly different question as we begin a new year. And the question I want to encourage you to, to explore is what stories or what story are you going to intentionally inhabit in 2022? We live in a city where we are bombarded with stories and all of these stories offer an invitation into a journey of becoming, a journey of spiritual formation. We know, right, that the stories we live in are the stories we live out. So what story are you going to live in in this coming year? I want to start by sharing an experience I had a number of years ago. Went to visit some churches having the most incredible impact on their communities. We went to northern Uganda, a place called Soroti, where teams of missionaries were working in the community. They would proclaim the gospel. And guess what? As they proclaimed the gospel, people came to faith and began to experience personal transformation that led to community transformation. The people that came to faith were invited into small groups and in their small groups, they would begin to devour the scriptures. And one of the questions they were asked in these communities is what do you have in your hands right now that could alleviate human suffering and create pathways to human flourishing? In other words, you're in a new story right now, the story of the kingdom of God. And every follower of Jesus gets to contribute, gets to play within this story. So what is your contribution? Now, a lot of the people coming to faith had come from backgrounds of extreme poverty. So when they were asked the question, what do you have in your hands? The common answer was like nothing. But as they went through a renewal of the mind type process, they began to see actually there are gifts that there, there is a contribution I can make. So we met this one guy. He began that journey. I've got nothing to contribute. And then eventually he said to his small group, well, there is one thing I possess. I own a piece of land. But the problem with the land is it's become swamp land. It's actually the breeding ground for mosquitoes in this part of Soroti, northern Uganda. And therefore, because of the land, the malaria rates are sky high. So that's all I really have to contribute. So in the group, they said, let's do some blue sky thinking. What could we do with the land? And someone in the community said, what if we tried to dig up the land, hit the water level to establish a pond? Now, no one had a better idea. So they're like, let's go for it. So they find 20 guys who are willing to commit 30 days to digging up the land. Now, week one, 
they're digging, no breakthrough. Week two, digging, no breakthrough. Week three, no breakthrough. But at the end of the fourth week, they do hit the water level and they begin to establish a pond. Hopefully you can see it in the, the picture. Now they begin to breed fish in the ponds and with the fish, they begin to feed people in the local community, which is amazing. But there's more than enough fish for the community. So they take some of the excess fish to market to generate an income. And with the income, they begin to send some of the kids to school to get an education. Because as we all know, education is a key pathway out of poverty. So they're feeding the community and they're educating the children. That's amazing. But the story gets better. They build a second pond, which hopefully you can see just behind the first pond in the picture. They begin to breed more fish. They take the fish to market. They generate more income. And with the income, they begin to employ people to manage the two ponds. And then they begin to dig three extra ponds. So there's five in total, generating more income. And they decide that with that income, they're going to begin to build homes for people in the community. So this land that initially was causing malaria rates to be sky high, in other words, it was quite literally killing people in the community, was now feeding people in the community, educating the children, providing employment, establishing homes for people to live in. But the story gets better. They began to ask the question, why are the conditions so perfect for these fish to breed? And they discovered that the fish were feasting on the mosquito larvae. In other words, the malaria rates began to plummet. So this land that was the cause of human suffering, quite literally killing people in the community, now became the land feeding the people, educating the children, providing employment, establishing homes, bringing malaria rates down. This pond became, at least in my mind, a snapshot of Eden, where people were beginning to flourish and live life fully. Honestly, it was remarkable. But you know how the story began? It began with one individual coming to faith, feasting on scripture and choosing to live in a different story. The story you live in is the story you live out. And if you live in the kingdom story, you're always going to become an agent of cultural renewal and kingdom transformation. I came back from Africa inspired by the story. And at that time, I read this fascinating article from a leading journalist called Matthew Paris. Many of you will have heard of him. He's an atheist. And he wrote this article about community transformation in Africa. The headline to the article is, as an atheist, I truly believe Africa needs God. Fascinating. So I thought I'd read some of the article to you. He says this, travelling in Malawi refreshed another belief too, one I've been trying to banish all my life, but an observation I've been unable to avoid since my African childhood. It confounds my ideological beliefs, stubbornly refuses to fit my worldview, and has embarrassed my growing belief that there is no God. Now a confirmed atheist, I've become convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes in Africa, sharply distinct from the work of secular NGOs, government projects and international aid efforts. These alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. 
I used to avoid this truth by applauding, as you can, the practical work of mission churches in Africa. It's a pity, I would say, that salvation is part of the package, but Christians black and white working in Africa do heal the sick, do teach people to read and write, and only the severest kind of secularist could see a mission hospital or school and say the world would be better without it. I would allow that if faith was needed to motivate motivate the missionaries to help, then fine. But what counted was the help, not the faith. But this doesn't fit the facts. Faith does more than support the missionary. It's also transferred to his flock. This is the effect that matters so immensely and which I cannot help observing. This is a leading secular atheist thinker coming to the conclusion that Africa needs God. Africa needs the gospel. The bit that makes zero sense is the conclusion that we in the West, we don't need God. We don't need the gospel. We can be masters of our own destiny. Crazy, right? Anyway, so I came back from northern Uganda and shared some of the story with our church family at KXC. And I said, we've got to ask the same question right now. What do we have in our hands that could alleviate human suffering and create pathways to human flourishing? Now, that time we'd been given this building, a rundown office space. We'd been given it for three years rent free. And there's a number of flaws in this office space. And basically the middle floor, we said to the church, look, we've been given this space. Like, what do we do with it? Like, how can it be a vehicle of kingdom transformation in King's Cross? And a couple in the church had this brainwave. Like, what if we run a co-working community from this space? I mean, this office space is so run down anyway. What if we strip it back? What if we populate the office with recycled furniture? In other words, furniture that had been thrown out, but was then restored to create a beautiful working environment. What do you need to run a good co-working space? You need great internet, you need community, you need coffee. We provided all of that and sent a message out to the freelancers, the creatives, the startup communities of King's Cross. Look, here's a space that you can work from. We're not going to charge you any rent, any rent that you might have paid. You can put it into a central pot that will then fund some amazing community initiatives on the ground in King's Cross. And what started with four or five co-workers grew rapidly to a membership of well over a hundred workers. You see, this office space had been run down, empty, derelict, and then suddenly populated with people doing the most incredible things to bless the local community, right? Whenever God moves, dominoes begin to fall. It begins with the proclamation of the gospel, followed by the pond story, followed by the co-working story, and there's many other stories that followed. Listen to these words from an Austrian poet, priest, philosopher, Ivan Illich, who says this, neither revolution nor reformation can ultimately change a society. Rather, you must tell a new powerful tale, one so persuasive that it sweeps away the old myths and becomes the preferred story. One so inclusive that it gathers all the bits of our past and present into a coherent whole. One that even shines some light into our future so that we can take the next step. If you want to change a society, then you have to tell an alternative story. 
This is a moment of opportunity for us culturally speaking. How do we become agents of cultural renewal and transformation? We need to tell an alternative story, the story of God, the story of his kingdom. Now, a summary of the story would go like this. It begins with creation, that God creates humanity in his image and likeness, places them in this garden of delight, humanity fully alive in relationship with God, in relationship with one another, in relationship with created order. That's what we were made for, by the way. But then we know that sin enters the story and created order begins to unravel. That's really Genesis 3 through to Genesis 11. And then in Genesis 12, something significant happens. God calls Abraham to be a father to the nation of Israel, that God calls to be a vehicle of healing and restoration and redemption to the ends of the earth. Now, if you've read the scriptures, you'll know that Israel falls short of that calling. So God takes on human flesh in the person of Jesus who lives, who dies, who rises again to establish God's new creation. So how does our story end? And the story ends like this. This is Revelation 21 and Revelation 22, that God comes to earth to make his dwelling place amongst us. Some of us might have grown up with an alternative story that essentially when we die, we leave our bodies behind and, and we ascend to some form of disembodied bliss where we ride around on clouds, we drink Red Bull, we sing Here I Am to Worship. And some of us thinking, really, that's heaven. I'm not really sure I want it. Um, but that's the story that many of us grew up with partly because we hadn't read Revelation 21 and 22, which is the story of God coming down, not us ascending to a disembodied bliss, but God coming down to dwell amongst us. And as he dwells amongst us, he brings about healing and restoration. And you've got these incredible words in Revelation 21, when God sits down on his throne, which is indicative of his work coming to completion. And he says, behold, I'm making all things new. Now, in the Greek of the New Testament, you've got two words for new. You've got neos, which means brand new, and then kainos, which is something old that's made new. It's restored to its former glory. And in Revelation 21, as God sits down, he says, behold, I'm making all things kainos. I'm restoring everything to how it was in the beginning. And the Apostle John is writing down this vision. He's like, wow, I realized as God declared those words, suddenly there was no more death and no more grief and no more crying and no more pain. The former things, in other words, decreation, created order, unraveling through sin, all of that passes away and the new creation breaks in upon us. Like, how incredible is that for an ending to the narrative, right? It trumps ascending to some sort of disembodied bliss. God's in the business of renewing and redeeming all things. He's going to redeem every community, every sphere of society is going to experience renewal and redemption. Extraordinary. Thomas Merton, the Catholic writer, once said, our lives are shaped by the end we live for. Like if that's the end we are living for, it should shape how we live, how we act, how we work in 2022. Now, at the very centre of that story is the person of 
Jesus. Now, Jesus is the one that fulfills this narrative. He is the creator stepping into creation. We call that the incarnation, which is a compound word. In meaning in, carne meaning flesh. So we talk about chili con carne, chili in meat. God con carne is God in human flesh. So the creator steps into creation and lives the perfect human life. And then the sin that led to the unraveling of created order is loaded upon Christ Jesus at the cross so that our sins might be forgiven, darkness overcome, death beaten. And then Jesus rises to new life, the firstborn of the new creation. And you see, this is how Jesus fulfills the entire narrative. And Paul provides a beautiful summary of this in Philippians chapter two. This is one of the hymns of the early church. I'm going to read it to you rather than sing it because I think you'd prefer it that way. But this is Paul trying to articulate the model of Jesus Christ. He actually opens chapter two by saying your attitudes and the way you act should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, this this song has three verses. Verse one incarnation who being in very nature God Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing he he emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness that that's the emptying the suffering with the wedding yourself to the well-being of those around you Second verse then, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, which leads then to the third verse. Therefore, God exalted him, which is a reference to the ascension, but also to the resurrection, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the way of Jesus, incarnation, cross, resurrection. So in another passage then, this is 1 Corinthians 15, and this is the closest we get to Paul articulating the central proclamation of the gospel. He says this, 1 Corinthians 15, for what I received, in other words, the proclamation, the gospel, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Here are the raw ingredients of the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. When Paul emphasizes on two occasions according to the scriptures, that's his way of saying Jesus lived, died, and rose again in accordance. In other words, to fulfill the entire narrative of God on a mission to make all things no. So what does it look like for us to live and follow the example of Jesus? It looks like being compassionate, courageous and creative. Let me explain a little bit more. Compassion. 
It's another compound word, two words shoved together to form a new word. Com meaning with and passion from the Latin verb passio meaning to suffer. So when you say I'm passionate about X, you're basically saying I so believe in that that I would willingly suffer for the cause. We talk about Easter being Passion Week where we see the sufferings of Jesus. So compassion literally means to suffer with. It's so easy in a city like London to try and create this comfortable life where we stand apart from the suffering of those around us. This is the message of Christmas, but more than that, the message of the gospel, that the first move God makes in mission is towards the pain, towards the hurting, towards the marginalized, towards the vulnerable. And if that's the first move God makes in mission, then the first move of the local church in mission should be towards the vulnerable and the hurting. So in this coming year, both individually but collectively as a church at St. Mark's, what does it look like to be a compassionate people? A people marked out by compassion, willing to suffer with those around them. Secondly, what does it mean to be courageous? Again, let me nerd out on the language. Courage, root word cur, meaning heart. At the very heart of our gospel proclamation is the cross of Jesus. It's tempting to try and minimise the cross as we communicate our faith. Will people really understand this message of a crucified Messiah dying for our sins? But when you extract the cross from the centre of the story, what you're really left with is a vision of sanctified humanism and it has no power to change the world. This is why the Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, essentially the the proclamation of the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of it because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Like if we want to be agents of cultural renewal and transformation in this coming year, we need to grow confidence in proclaiming our gospel message that through the death of the king, the life of the kingdom can break out. Like it requires courage to proclaim our faith in the cultural moment we find ourselves in. So yes, we need to be compassionate, marked out by compassion, but we also need to be marked out by courage. Thirdly then, We need to be marked out by creativity. We're made in the image and likeness of a creator, an artist. We have creativity coursing through our veins. The spirit of God that was hovering over the waters at the very beginning, bringing order to the chaos. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the grave is at work within us right now, whether you feel it or not, within us right now, bringing resurrection life to our beings. And if the spirit of God is coursing through our veins, then creativity should be flowing from us. We're ministers of the new creation. We're experiencing foretastes of what is to come. And as we minister, we're pointing the world towards the new creation and enabling them to experience foretastes of it too. 
So that's my prayer for you as a church family, St. Mark's, as you begin 2022, that you would intentionally decide to indwell the full narrative of scripture, that you'd follow the way of Jesus, his incarnation, his cross, his resurrection, that you'd be a church marked out by compassion and courage and creativity. And through doing all of that, you would see outbreaks of the kingdom of God in and through your church family. That's what I'm praying for. I've no doubt that's what you're praying for. And I can't wait to hear some of the stories that flow from that. God bless.